Rob Wolf, and welcome to episode number 41 of Unformidable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history. As to us, every player who dons the orange and blue is, in their own way, unformidable. Episode 41. 41 is a notable number of the most heralded myth, the one who makes our franchise less quirky and a bit more storied, Mr. Tom Seaver sadly passed away earlier last week. Um, And somewhat ironically, I had been planning this as my next podcast anyway, and now it just seems sadly uh, serendipitous that this is going to be the one. Uh, After wallowing sometime this summer uh, just reading dystopian fiction and historical accounts of the 1918 flu pandemic, I finally looked for a book to do some escapism and I saw recently it was National Baseball Card Day, so I started reading Cardboard Gods by Josh Wilker, which has been quite good so far. Um, and already put in my mind to do this player as the next podcast, and then along came the unfortunate news of the passing away of the franchise, Tom Seaver. And as I said, this felt just very appropriate for Unformidable number 41. Uh, Tom Seaver, of course, is way too heralded to be an unformidable candidate, uh, so, but, this, but this might be the first pod player I've highlighted where the player I'm talking about adorns my wall as we speak, uh, or more precisely a bulletin board that I have, because even though his career didn't pan out that well, Bill Dennehy is on one of the most famous and certainly the most expensive Met baseball cards out there. For Bill Dennehy was named by Topps as one of the Mets' 1967 rookie All-Stars, a distinction he shared with one George Thomas Seaver. Obviously, Mr. Dennehy didn't have the career of the franchise, but he had an interesting baseball journey, played a big role in an important acquisition in building the 1969 Miracle Mets, and a notable life afterwards. So we're going to take a look back at the unformidable career of Bill Dennehy, Tom Seaver's teammate, and co-star on 1967 Topps baseball card number 581, a shabby old copy of which I do proudly own. William Francis Dennehy was born on March 31, 1946, in Middletown, Connecticut. He grew to be a big and strapping young man, 6'3", 220. Uh, by the time he graduated high school, he was a good high school athlete, excelling in basketball, where he was an all-star, as well as in baseball, where he was a talented but incredibly wild pitcher. In his junior year, Dennehy was cut from his high school team for purposely hitting a batter, not the first or last time that his temper would play a role in his career and his life. But, of course, he had the arm, and the scouts had found him, and he was encouraged to focus more on baseball back on the team for senior year, Dennehy helped pitch his team to the Connecticut State High School State Championship. He threw a three-hitter, striking out 10 in the championship, and then he played American Legion ball that summer, where he gained even greater notoriety and greater adoration from the scouts by striking out 26 batters in a one nothing 15-inning victory for his squad. By this point, scouts from many teams were pursuing Dennehy and he chose the Mets and the $20,000 bonus they offered him as he saw a young franchise where he would have a chance to more quickly move up the ladder. Then he quickly became a highly regarded pitching prospect in an organization that was fast becoming laden with them. 
in his first full season in the minors in 1965 at the tender age of 19 in Auburn for the Mets Class A affiliate in the New York Penn League. Denny he earned an all-star selection, winning 13 games, hurling 10 complete games, and recording a 2.78 ERA. This enabled him to move up the next rung of the ladder, debuting in Double A in 1966, where he really excelled, going nine and two and putting up a 1.80 ERA through half a season before getting called up to Triple A Jacksonville. And it was in Jacksonville where the then 20-year-old, uh, who would struggle in Triple A, first joined a rotation headed by Tom Seaver, who was making his only minor league season appearance after the Mets very famously won his rights out of a hat. A couple of levels below these two young right-handed fireballers in 1966, uh, another young flamethrower named Nolan Ryan was walking 139 batters and striking out 307 over 201 minor league innings in the lower minors. And Denny, he in fact was considered to have the strongest arm in the system outside of Nolan Ryan. In a very recent interview uh, upon Seaver's passing, where Denny he had shared a lot of lovely anecdotes. He noted that Seaver and he were, quote, prospects 1A and 1B. Our lockers in spring training and in the regular season were right next to each other. We had an opportunity to talk a lot about baseball and about life. And as further about uh, some pranks Seaver would play, including shaving cream and a player's glove, some very Roger McDowell-esque escapades that uh, I would not have pictured uh, from the seemingly straight-laced Mr. Seaver, but were definitely fun to read about. But even though their paths diverged greatly in the majors, they were both seen as potential future stars. In fact, in a spring training game on March 25th, 1967, against the Kansas City A's, Seaver threw five innings, and he was followed up immediately by Dennehy throwing three. After the game, in the New York Daily News, Dick Young who, of course, would run Seaver out of town, or help run Seaver out of town 10 years down the road, wrote up a report of the game saying that Dennehy throws harder than the heralded Seaver. Quote, he hums it. Seaver has a live fastball, but his strength is spotting the ball low. Considering Seaver became notable for the drop and drive and the high fastball, and, well, all of the other feelings I have retroactively about Dick Young. I'm starting to think he knew about as much about baseball as about, about PR and about what athletes deserve to make and should not have been in such a position of power to be influential in Tom Seaver leaving town, but alas, we can't rewrite that history. At any rate, while you can retroactively look back and perhaps scoff, you know, we all know there's no such thing as a pitching prospect, uh, but Dennehy and Seaver, they were... Uh, impressive-looking arms each, and Mets manager Wes Westrom began the season by bringing both rookies north. Uh, the rotation was Bob Shaw, Jack Fisher, Don Cardwell, and the two rookies. At the age of 22, Tom Seaver would kick off his Hall of Fame career on April 13th of 1967, going five and a third innings, giving up six hits and four walks, and surrendering two runs. Uh, recorded a no decision, and he struck out eight. At age 21, Deddy he would make his MLB debut three days later on April 16, 1967, at Connie Mack Stadium against the Philadelphia Phillies. Deddy he went six and a third innings, allowing only three hits, uh, but he did walk six. He allowed only two runs, his one mistake, a two-run homer by Phillies great Dick Allen, and Deddy he also struck out eight. 
for one game and one game only into their careers. The younger prospect had the better career at Dennehy's game score of 61 would attest besting Seaver's game score of 52 in his major league debut. In another fun note, the eight strikeouts that they matched each other on, obviously it was a pretty nascent franchise, but it was a Mets record for strikeouts in a debut, and their names would be side-by-side side with that record for 40... 45. For 45 years, until one Matt Harvey would make his Major League debut and fan 11 in Arizona. Haven't made a formal check, but I would guess that has permanently removed Bill Dennehy from the Mets record books. And the Mets did not support Dennehy well in that early part of his career. In his first four turns through a Major League rotation, he lost all four times, going 0-4 despite putting up a reasonable 3.47 ERA over those four starts. Unfortunately, Dennehy's career would perhaps reach its pivotal moment the next start. Uh, he felt a stabbing pain in his right shoulder, uh, according to him, when he tried to throw a slider past Willie Mays in a start he made against the Giants on May 3rd. That put him on the disabled list for the first time ever, and also he received the first of what would be many cortisone shots, as we'll discuss later. Uh, Dennehy was eased off the DL later in May with a couple of relief outings and took the mound at Shea Stadium for the first game of a doubleheader on May 28th in front of 48,548 at Shea. And in the seventh appearance of his Major League career, in his fifth career start, Dennehy would record his first career win, which, spoiler alert, would actually turn out to be his only Major League career win. Uh, Dennehy went five and two-thirds against the Braves in that opening game of the doubleheader. He did surrender three runs uh, on home runs to Cleet Boyer and Joe Torre, uh, but Tommy Davis had a wonderful game, homering and driving in five runs to lead the Mets and Dennehy to a 6-3 game, 6-3 victory in the opener. Now in that quote from his recent interview, Dennehy didn't specify who was prospect 1A and who was prospect 1B, but by that date, May 25th, Dennehy was clearly 1B in the prospect race. Seaver was 4-2 and two with a 2.54 ERA. Uh, he had, as of that date, en route to the 1967 NL Rookie of the Year Award and ultimately icon status. Dennehy, unfortunately, went in the opposite direction, struggling in several appearances thereafter and finishing the 1967 1-7 with a 4.70 ERA. Uh, he that was those were his numbers as of June 25th when he got sent back down to the minors for the remainder of the season. His care of players was not as uh, not as stringent back then. As they didn't really get his shoulder checked out till at the end of that season, at which point it was revealed that his rotator cuff had a tear. But young pitchers don't all start as majestically as Tom Terrific, or Doc, or Jacob Degrom, as uh, one of the. Areas our franchise has actually had an enjoyable plethora of is uh, rookie sensation pitchers, but we all know that not all pitching careers start off so dramatically well, uh, so it still probably made sense that the young fireballer would be added to that now famous, now incredibly expensive, if you have one in good condition, mine's really in tatters, so don't come breaking into my apartment, but uh, it kind of made sense that he was added to that Topps baseball card 
you know, trying to predict the Mets' future stars. Uh, little did Topps or Dennehy know, though, that his initial run with the Mets was about to end as that card was being planned and sent into production. As the 1967 offseason began, Mets manager Wes Westrom resigned, allegedly before the team could fire him. The rumors were rampant that the Mets wanted Gil Hodges to be their manager, and that Hodges also wanted to return to the city that was famously his home and where he was still beloved. Now, Hodges still had another year on his contract to manage the Washington Senators, and Senators GM George Selkirk was not enthusiastic about letting Hodges go, as he had led the team to incremental improvements over his four and a half, four and a half years at the helm of the franchise. But Selkirk also knew that New York held a special appeal to Gill, and he was afraid that Hodges would simply wait out his contract and walk the following year, and that he would lose the young manager for nothing. So George Selkirk and the Mets began to negotiate, and Selkirk was adamant. Cash, $100,000 to be exact, and a pitcher, uh, preferably Dennehy. The Mets allegedly offered Al Schmeltz or Tug McGraw, as options along with Dennehy, but uh, Dennehy apparently had pitched well in AAA against the Senators minor league affiliate, and Selkirk fixated on him, no Dennehy, no Hodges, Uh, so Bill Dennehy would become the first ball player ever effectively traded for a manager. I've read conflicting reports of whether or not the Senators were aware of the rotator cuff tear. I'm going to have to guess no, Uh, and you know, whether or not the Mets failed to disclose that, I'm not 100% clear either, but uh, it was an issue that would continue to bedevil Dennehy and render the trade uh, about as disappointing from the senator's side, I was about to call them the Nationals, about as disappointing from the senator's side as the trade is considered hallowed and essential and crucial for the Mets. For 1968, Dennehy would appear in only three games and pitch only two innings as a Washington Senator. He faced 13 batters, allowing four hits and four walks, and he spent all of the year either on the disabled list with his shoulder issues or back down in the minors. And then in 1969, while Seaver and the Mets were off on their magical, amazing carpet ride in 1969, Dennehy was studying under new Senators manager Ted Williams, from whom he claimed to have learned as much about hitting from as I did from all of my pitching coaches combined. Unfortunately, he was still in a lot of pain and was unable to put that wisdom to use. He spent the 69 season as well in AAA or on the DL before being traded to Cleveland. Uh, Dennehy is, in interviews, has said he received three cortisone injections before the trade, and many more afterwards. In one interview, Dennehy estimated that he had had 57 cortisone shots over the, over the preceding 26 months. Dennehy was a minor league free agent after the 69 season, never appeared with the, in, with the Indians and the majors, and was picked up by his old organization, and he spent all of 1970 in the Mets organization at AAA Tidewater, where he had a pretty solid year, and then he had a solid spring training in 1971 and was told by Hodges that he was going to make the team as a reliever, only to be traded right before the start of the season to the Detroit Tigers, along with veteran Dean Chance for pitcher Jerry Robertson and $75,000. Dennehy started the season in AAA 
but he spent most of that 1971 season in the Tiger bullpen. He made 31 appearances, uh, one start, getting credit for one save early in the year, the only save of his career. I was a kind of multi-inning outing in a 12-1 Detroit blowout victory. And he, as I said, he made that last major league start of his career, July 25th, in game two of a doubleheader. He went three and a third innings and took his final Major League Baseball loss in a game to the A's. Though probably remembered more as a Met, perhaps for that Seaver connection and appearing on that card, uh, Dennehy remembered that final 71 season uh, perhaps more fondly than any of his Major League time as the Tigers went 91-71 and 71 under manager Billy Martin, finishing a close second in the American League East. According to Dennehy, those Tigers were a particularly close-knit group, at least in part because of a number of brawls they engaged in, one of which was started when Dennehy plunked Ray Fossey in retaliation for a total of five batters being hit by the Tigers, uh, two from noted beanballer Sam McDowell over the course of a doubleheader. Uh, one would imagine that even if he wasn't pitching decent relief, that would probably earn Billy Martin's approval uh, is that old-fashioned frontier justice. And so from high school into the majors, Denny, he was definitely not uh, not afraid of a little brushback pitch, it would appear. And uh, as I'll discuss in wrapping up his life, he, he did feel like he dealt with a lot of rage and anger issues uh, over the course of his career and tried to manage them after he retired. Uh, but injuries would rear their head again, and Denny, he had a burgeoning drug problem between the painkillers and amphetamines and other drugs, uh, <clears throat> and this would really combine to mean that he would never wind up appearing in the majors again, uh, despite latching on with several organizations and trying to make it back up from the minors between 72 and 74 before he finally decided to officially retire after the 74 season which left Dennehy uh, ready to start his new life pretty much at the age of 27 or 28. Dennehy pitched in only 49 games in his major league career, making nine starts. Uh, he was 1-10 with a 4.56 ERA. He did record one save uh, for his major league career. His war, according to baseball reference, was negative 1.1. As a Met, Dennehy was 1-7 with a 4.70 ERA. Uh, he threw 53 innings as a Met, allowed 51 hits, 29 walks versus 35 strikeouts, uh, faced 240 batters as a Met. Uh, it's, I said 4.70 ERA, which is pretty much in line. You know, not a lot of innings, but it was 4.79 FIP uh, and 1.491, almost one and a half base runners. And inning uh, was his whip as a Met. That all combined gave him a war of negative 1.0 as a Met for his career. Uh, the 71 was probably his best season where he had a, a positive 0.01 war uh, in his 49 innings of relief as a Tiger. As mentioned, Danny, he was only 28 when he retired from baseball, embarking on the first of numerous careers. That was real estate in Arizona. Uh, he eventually got into broadcasting, both in ML Major League Baseball, where he covered the Reds, even getting to interview his old teammate Seaver in 1981, when he was with Cincinnati. Uh, and he eventually moved back to Connecticut and got into radio uh, sports and general radio as Wild Bill Dennehy, cowboy hat and all. 
Then he continued to struggle with drugs and with rage issues, even as he segued into coaching. Uh, in the early 80s, he served a couple of years as pitching coach for the Red Sox in the Red Sox organization at AA, where he coached such notable uh, names as Oil Can Boyd, Al Nipper, and Roger Clements. Uh, perhaps he gave the Mets some inside intel when they smoked most of those pitchers in the 1986 World Series. Um, but then he would eventually become the head baseball college baseball coach in Hartford, uh, where he would have the chance to touch one more Hall of Fame career as one of his prize signees with a young Jeff Bagwell, who later gave Dennehy credit for aiding in his development uh, in an interview about Dennehy. Bagwell said, he got me to spread my feet farther apart, move my hands into my body, it shortened my swing, and got me on the ball better. And... If you're familiar with Jeff Bagwell's stance, it is pretty dramatic how far his feet are spread apart and how where his hands are positioned. It's a strange and notable stance, and I'm not pretending he has had the same stance since college, but you know, it doesn't strike me as a minor point uh, given how strange Mr. Bagwell's stance is. How notable those particular elements of the stance are. I thought that was very interesting and nice point. Unfortunately, even if he was a good coach, uh, Denny, he, uh, his rage would get the be- best of him again. Uh, there, a bench-clearing brawl broke out against the univer- against UConn, uh, Hartford against UConn, and Denny, he was ultimately fired for making, he, he first of all was engaged in the brawl as opposed to trying to tamp it down as a coach, but really got fired afterwards for making inflammatory comments about Connecticut's team and coaches, including one coach who I guess he was quoted as saying he hoped somebody bombed his car. Uh, So the Hartford uh, University management eventually uh, let him go uh, due to that, and his anger and rage issues cost him his career. And of course, those anger issues and his issues with drugs uh, definitely caused him a lot of family issues with his uh, wife and with his children. Um, so in June of 1992, after moving down to Florida, Denny he checked himself into rehab at the Betty Ford Center to try and deal with his issues from drug addiction and rage. And after going through that program, Denny he tried to apply his newfound enlightenment uh, to his old skills. Uh, in broadcasting, Denny he hosted a program called Comeback, which focused on people who had come various addictions and afflictions, and he also went on to form with Ryan Duran the National Association of Recovering Professional Athletes. And while the organization eventually faltered, Dennehy has continued to lecture in his spare time about addiction and has recently reported that he is currently 28 years sober. And he chronicled his baseball life and his post-baseball life in a book that he published in 2014 entitled, perhaps appropriately enough, Rage, The Legend of Baseball Bill Dennehy, which might be the rare book now that I'm looking at it online uh, to feature a player in a Met cap on a cover that I have not read. So uh, perhaps I will have to look into that one now that I've delved into this podcast. And one other sad footnote to his <clears throat> life and baseball career in 2005, Dennehy noticed severe deterioration of his eyesight, and uh, he is currently legally blind. He, according to Dennehy, in all probability, the cortisone shots, the many cortisone shots that he got, uh, got into his artery 
and caused damage to the optic nerve and in all probability caused the blindness. But because his career ended before 1980, uh, Dennehy receives only an annual stipend of $3,750 from baseball, uh, whereas according to him, players with his service time who played after 1980 get a minimum uh, pension or pension equivalent of $21,000 a year. Uh, Dennehy has been very outspoken about trying to get older players a more commensurate share of baseball's incredible riches. While many might look back at the young talent and the wasted talent and the difficulty of his life and be disappointed, Denny he, you know, perhaps befitting the perspective of someone who's gone through what he has and kind of cleaned up their life, uh, seems to have a great attitude. He had an MLB career, found a new lease in life, and he'll always be featured on one of the most expensive baseball cards out there. And lest you think that might be, you know, an issue to him or something, uh, you know, a thorn in his side. In a recent interview with Dom Amore of the Hartford Courant, in which they discussed uh, Den- Seaver's passing, and which was a really interesting, great read, uh, Denny he recalled that when Seaver got into the Hall of Fame, he, quote, asked the Mets for his address and sent a card to him, Congratulations on getting into the Hall of Fame. It's about time you held up your side of the card. And why not? I mean, Bill Dennehy knows wherever there are Met fans and baseball card collectors and people who love and worship and fondly remember Tom Seaver, Bill Dennehy will also be remembered as well. Thank you for joining me as we look at his very interesting and exceptional life and baseball journey and use it as a little segue to also honor and remember Tom Seaver in a tangential, unformidable, appropriate way. And thank you very much for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. You can follow Amazon Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can find this and all of our Amazon pods wherever you get your podcasts. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, W-O-L-F-F-R-R. And the show is at Unformidable. Thank you. And as always, let's go Mets. And this time, and always, a fond remembrance and fond farewell to the franchise, Tom Seaver. Thank you. <laughs>